You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, it's Carl Stebbings and Simon Woolthorton. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 41 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in the kitchen studio this Sunday morning is Matt Smith. Hello, Matt. Morning. How are you this morning? Um, I could do without being out of bed so early, but anyway. <laughs> what do you mean early? It's half past ten in the morning. <laughs> I know, but some of us have to work for a living, you know. I worked late last night, I'll have you know, I'll have you know. Um, so uh, we've uh, we've joined together this morning to produce this podcast. We've had uh, a few rounds of toast and mm-hmm. some jam. Yes, yes. Feeling and, human already. It's yes. amazing what good old fashioned tea will do. It's uh, it's been a rather busy week, hasn't it, oh. on the uh, aviation side of things, Matt? It's, yeah, got a massive story sort yeah, of towards the end of story. our news section. So, um, anyone anyone in this this part of the well, sort of UK, well, you pro- probably around the world actually. To be fair, I mean, I don't, I don't suppose it's been the um, the best news that no. the uh, air traffic control could have wanted, but we'll we'll leave that until later. We'll cover that in great detail. So, uh, um, have you been there, Matt? Who had a uh, busy week? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, can't yeah. really remember. A bit of a daze at the moment. We're in the pre-Christmas rush, so everybody's off to uh, go and see pantomimes and things. So it's primary school children being sport rotten by their various schools. Uh, no London trips then? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. There was one on... Uh, where did I go? Uh, there was one last Saturday, which is what I was then um, off to go and do last Saturday. And uh, and I was... Uh, I, where was I on uh, Friday, that's right. I went to Dagenham, which is Dagenham. Awesome. Yes, classy. Waved at the Ford factory as we went past. <laughs> <laughs> they still, still make Fords there? Uh, well, I think they still make the van. I think oh, that's about okay. all they make there now. But uh, yes, yeah, so, and uh, yeah, London again on Thursday, oh, and good. Uh, and then just sort of theatre, and then um, breakfast on Friday morning with all my colleagues as a as a sort of Christmas. Oh, uh, I know, very exciting. What about you? Anything exciting? No, nothing really. Just um, and you had a lesson yesterday. Yes, I yeah. yes I did. I had a lesson yesterday afternoon, uh, and, which went really well. Right, I think. Well, you're still here. <laughs> so I'm still it's here. here. Yeah. <laughs> it actually, actually managed uh, eight takeoffs and landings yesterday, so right. it's quite good. Um, wow. Although the uh, field where uh, I fly at uh, Beckles at Ella at Rainer. Um, the training school, the uh, the grass was rather boggy. Well, yes, um, it, which been... made for some interesting viewing as uh, <laughs> a, a certain Cessna 150 was taxiing off the asphalt runway onto the grass and got um, a, stuck. Wee, a wee yeah. bit stuck in the mud, <laughs> um, which was which was great. Um, I think it's fair to say that Beckles Airfield is a rural airfield. Yes, is that yeah. is that a fair? Um... Yeah, the, the only thing what sort of makes it kind of strange is when you take off um, from two seven left, that you have that huge uh, solar panel farm ah, just yes, off the edge yes. of the runway. A, a useful Literally. marker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is good when you're coming on zero nine yeah. because you can uh, you can say, oh well, I'm lined up correctly. Uh, because uh, there's I'm sorry, the, what? Um, Zero, zero nine, sorry. It's uh, <laughs> runway designations. Oh, oh yeah. dear. Zero nine is one direction, two seven is the other. Wonder, they're a pop group, aren't they? What? <laughs> but uh, but you know, it, as you said, it is quite a rural. rural. <laughs> what, uh, the, the, the only giveaway of it being a runway is the windsock. Is, yes, <laughs> which there wasn't a lot of yesterday. What, no wind? No, no. not very much at all. So uh, that, that must make it easier for taking off. And, oh, definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah you haven't got crosswinds and things. It makes it a lot yeah. easier. But uh, no, we have uh, we've got those news. Yes, and we've got a bit of military news as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget as well for all the listeners, we put it on the, the Facebook page and Twitter as well. We've got the competition running, which we're going to draw next week. Um, we have got uh, two questions uh, for you to answer. And uh, the first question we've got 
to answer was or is, uh, what date was the first official display of the Red Arrows? And the second question uh, was or is, what date was the first flight of the Lockheed L-1011 TriStar? Mm-hmm. You can enter the competition via the website if you click on the Contact Us tab. Send us your answers there. Um, or you can email us at uh, plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send us your answers there. And um, we've had uh, we've had a, a bit of uh, feedback and also um, uh, some answers as well from 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 a couple of people. We'll give them a mention. You've got to, they've got the names there. Have yeah, you, yeah. We had a couple of entries. Uh, one from uh, thank you very much from Gen- Jennifer Parkinson. She's written in, so she's entered the competition. Um, and we'll, we'll look into more details whether the answers are right. I'm sure. Yes. To, uh, when, when are you actually drawing the? We'll draw that next week on next, next week's show. Week, uh, our last Christmas one before special. Christmas. Uh, yeah, the Christmas special. Oh, yeah. I shall have to make sure I dig yeah. out my Christmas jumper. Yes, we will have yeah. to wear jumpers. Yeah, definitely <laughs> for that one. Yeah. yeah, and also Zach Hayden. He's also uh, written in as well. Um, that was, uh, I think he's, he's answered from episode uh, 39. So thank you very much for getting in touch there. And of course, Pilot Pip has been in touch. Yes, as well. Pip, our yes. very own Pilot Pip has been in touch. He's a uh, He's given us some answers. He's entered the competition as well. Is he allowed um, to? I mean, he contributes. Well, I mean, it's a bit like me entering, is that not? <laughs> no, no, you can't enter, definitely, because oh. you've got the answers there in front of you. Um, <laughs> That's but, the only reason I know yeah, them. <laughs> no, Pip can answer. Yeah. We're going to put them in a hat and draw the answers uh, out. But uh, like I said, we, you've got uh, probably just under a week to get uh, get your answers in. Yeah. And, and like you said, we've got some uh, some T-shirts and, and calendars and stuff to uh, to give away, <laughs> which is really good. But we have had some other feedback as well from a certain uh, person from way across the pond, haven't we, Matt? Well, yes, in the middle of mid- middle of the uh, the ocean. The ocean, yeah. <laughs> a small island, <laughs> small island, small somewhere. island somewhere. That's, that's sort of three times the size of um, most countries. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so all the way from Australia, Australia, mate. Good day, mate. So from uh, Grant Grant McCarran. Grant McCarran has written in. Yes, he says, Hi, guys. To answer Carl and Matt's question, Ari, why we shouldn't mention the cricket? Those who've uh, listened to the show regularly will know there's a little segment that's um, played by uh, Carlos um, when we have our quick um, cup of tea break. And um, that's uh, one of the things they mentioned in that trail is cricket. And I asked why. Uh, and he says, well, you know, it's because apparently Australia keeps winning. But uh, what would I know? I uh, I don't uh, even follow the game these days. Uh, I used to play it as a kid and I watched a bit with my parents, but I don't have any time for sport these days. Uh, hope all is well over there and congrats on getting those episodes out. So thanks for that, Grant. Nice, yeah, thanks, nice of you Grant. to get in touch. He's uh, he's the balloonatic. The, uh, uh, pardon? <laughs> he's, a hot air, he's a hot air balloon uh, guy. He is at the wow. show at the PCDU. So those guys produce uh, a podcast each week uh, from Australia, which is really good. I listen to that. I listen to that every week. Uh-huh. I absolutely love it. Love it. But uh, no, thanks for that, Grant, for yeah. sending that in. That's yeah. cleared up that, uh, that conversation. That, that question that I had, yes. yes. Sorry, a couple of podcasts back. Yes. All right, well, I suppose we ought to um, We really ought to kick on. off the news. Yes, yes. so we are going to start uh, then, as we always do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. Big stories this week, yes. Big stories. Let's go. So kicking us off this week with the, the first story. Oh, no. oh, we're having fun today. Aren't we? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So the AIN online site then. And London Biggin Hill Airport launches helicopter shuttle service. 
so London Biggin Hill Airport uh, Stand 515 announced at the MEBA 2014 the launch of the London Heli Shuttle connecting Biggin Hill with London Air, uh, Heliport in Battersea. The service is being operated by Castle Air using a dedicated fleet of six passenger Augusta Westland AW109 helicopters. So for the um, small fee of uh, £2,300, or that works out... I like how it says plus tax. Plus, plus tax, yeah. <laughs> or $3,584 plus tax, uh, including a door-to-door chauffeur car service, the heli shuttle will whisk travellers between the two points in six minutes, saving as much as two hours per day over a round-trip transfer by ground vehicle and offering what Biggin Hill suggests is the shortest time from touchdown to central London from any business aviation airport. The service will also be available to and from Vanguard Helipad on the Isle of Dogs, offering easy access to Canary Wharf, the O2 Arena, the XL Exhibition Centre and uh, London City Airport. With a dedicated point of entry and pre-approved clearance service at Biggin Hill, passengers can literally step from their arriving aircraft onto the helicopter and Castle Air's large fleet can cater for last-minute bookings as well, making the service highly flexible. All three FBOs uh, at the airfield have welcomed uh, the addition of the helicopter service, which can be booked directly via uh, or via the FBOs. Uh, The London Heli Shuttle will enable customers to gain more control over time and ensures that their transit to and from London is efficient as possible, said Robert Walters, the Biggin Hills Airport Business Development Director. We want our customers to make uh, London Biggin Hill Airport their gateway of choice for access to and from London and the South East. Biggin Hill is seeing a growth in traffic, particularly from the United States. Middle East uh, traffic rem- uh, volume remains constantly high, and some of the airport's 65 aviation tenant companies are looking to expand their Middle East business further. Among them is the Dassault Service Center Jets, which is expanding and renewing approvals from the Middle East authorities. So, ah, there we go then. So you can, um, so that's kind of, I think they're cutting out all the traffic in London to go from point A to point B. It does seem a little bit, um, I mean, it's a, it's a heck of a price tag. And I suppose if, if you're, you know, working in a big office in London, then I, I I guess 2000 odd quid is, is perhaps not, um, not, not the end of the world in, so, I mean, it's a, it's a massive holiday in my world. So basically this is a really posh taxi service. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having driven in London a lot, obviously, I mean, there's no two ways about it. London traffic is horrible, but um, I mean, if you if you're not frightened to use the underground, I mean, two hours even. I mean, Biggin Hill isn't that far outside of London. I mean, no. it's probably what thirteen, fifteen miles outside. It's not. Of- I remember when we and uh, me and Simon were at the uh, Festival of Flight Air Show at Biggin Hill yeah. earlier this year. Yeah. Where we are on the flight line, you could look across and see the um, Gherkin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, tower. I mean, you're really not that far. I, I, I mm. don't know where they got. I'm really confused as to where they got that, unless they picked the busiest day that Central London's overground transport has ever had in its life, <laughs> and they got that that number. I mean, but even if you you know sort of went to the nearest, got a taxi and went to the nearest, um, <laughs> that would be the cat, would That'd it? Be the yeah, cat morning fun. poppy. Yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, the nearest. Yeah. Um, uh, I've lost it now. Sorry. <laughs> so the cat put you off. No, but I know. I mean, if you pick the big, the busiest time of the day yeah. and stuff. That. Yeah. yeah I mean, if, so if you decided to do it sort of between eight and nine mm, o'clock, for mm. example, I mean, then it might well take you two hours. But I mean, 
I did it from I did it from um, from Beckles to to central London in three hours last mm. Saturday in a coach in a coach. Mm. So <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think I think the numbers have been exaggerated slightly to uh, to highlight their point. I think it's mm. but, but I, I mean hey, there's no better way of getting about really. Oh, is there? God, I mean, it's I the best choice. Taxi. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I live a mile away from where I work. Yeah, but given the choice, I'd rather fly. <laughs> to, be on, to be honest with you, Carlos, if you could afford to actually go to <laughs> go to go to where you work on in a helicopter, I don't think you'd be working there. No. To be brutally honest, <laughs> you'd be doing some other activity uh, further think. away. Yes. Okay, on to the next story. Then it's uh, from Travel Weekly website this time, and this one is American Airlines. Plans a two billion pound revamp, a two billion pound uh, upgrade. Dollar, dollar. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we're having one of those days. Aren't one we, of those today? days. We're, yeah, it's, we're, yeah. we're, we're fraught with technical glitches and all sorts today. So please bear with us. We mm. might fall off air. I don't know yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, so American Airlines plans two billion dollar revamp, a two billion dollar. Upgrade of services in the air and on the ground is planned by American Airlines a year on from its merger with US Airways. The revamp from next year will include the introduction of fully lie-flat seats in first and business class uh, on almost all wide-body aircraft, satellite-based internet access on international services, more in-flight entertainment options, provided um, uh, providing improved Admirals Club lounges worldwide and upgraded assortments of complimentary healthy food and cocktails. What's the point? Well, everyone <laughs> likes a cocktail. Well, yeah, I know, but not a healthy one. <laughs> yeah, I see the whole objects. Passengers' uh, Wi-Fi access will soon extend around the globe with access being added on all Boeing 777s and Airbus 330s, as well as all of its re- retrofitted 767 300s and 757s and all their 787 Dreamliners. Uh, in premium cabins, American is upgrading to the latest Bose headset, Ooh, very nice, on all flights to South America, Europe and Asia, as well as uh, continental flights in the US. I'm actually wearing some at the moment, aren't I? Those, is it these Bose ones? No, they're not Bose. No, oh, they? blimey, they're not. I can't afford Bose. <laughs> Bose headsets. Oh, dear. American Airlines is taking a delivery of nearly 100 aircraft in 2014, claiming that it gives it the youngest fleet of any US-based network carrier with an average aircraft age of 12.3 years. They're older than I thought they would be. I, I don't know. I just I thought airplanes would only have like a five year shelf. No, 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 no. Of course, some of the airlines, no, airliners now flying are, are quite old, but you know they're they're maintained very um, very well. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, they, they, well, nothing gets inspections like it. I mean, they're inspected almost every day, aren't they? In, in sort of thorough thorough inspection. So that so that's uh, exciting news for American Airlines then. Do you know, uh, just a, a piece of add-on information on there, American yeah. Airlines, um, do you know how many aircraft they have in their fleet? No. 977. Gosh, that's quite uh, And they've got 28 on order. 28 on order. Who yeah. does it, Do you know where who from? Uh, what no. is their plane of choice? Their order or planned. It's, uh, I'm just looking at the fleet size. Yeah. Um, I think they've got quite a mixed fleet of different aircraft. Right. But, well, but no, 977. And their average fleet age... Yes. Of their aircraft is twelve and a half years. Yeah, yeah, twelve and a half. Yeah, wow. Yes, interesting stuff. So, moving on to our next story, Travel Weekly. Um, Airbus claims order backlog. Um, 
record, an actual record. Uh, Airbus is claiming an industry record by hitting an order backlog of more than 6,000 aircraft for the first right. time. The number emerged as the European manufacturer revealed its orders for November, bolstering the company's position in its uh, fight with the rival Boeing. Uh, for dominance of the civil aviation aerospace market. Its US rival has an order backlog of 5,703 commercial aircraft. Airbus took 248 orders during November and delivered 61 aircraft, taking its year-to-year date orders to 1,031, including cancellations, with 554 aircraft handed over to customers. However, on an annual basis, Boeing has the upper hand, taking 1,274 orders when adjusted for cancellations, with 647 aircraft delivered to airlines in the year to date. Airbus's faster response to airlines' growing demand for efficiency is helping it gain an edge in the fight for dominance, according to experts. It was the first of two of the two companies to begin developing modernised versions of its uh, existing jets. Uh, the range known as the NEOs, or New Engine Options, uh, derived from the New Engine uh, Option package deal with more fuel-efficient engines and performance increases as well, uh, and advanced aerodynamics. Uh, independent aviation analyst Howard Wielden said uh, the NEOs are doing extremely well and making inroads. Uh, Airbus listened to what the market wanted and delivered it first. Airbus was into the evolution of aircraft earlier than Boeing, taking out costs by giving them more efficient engines and reducing maintenance. And Boeing was a little slower to uh, respond. Boeing had a different approach to Bo- uh, Airbus developing the all-new 787 Dreamliner, which incorporated much more advanced technology and materials such as composites to improve efficiency, uh, but delayed its introduction to service, which pushed up costs. So, uh, I mean, it just goes to show again, um, you know, it is a mass battle really between Airbus and Boeing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And the backlogs, you can see Airbus have well, a huge amount of backlogs. Sounds like they're aircraft. winning. Yeah. In, yeah. In, the, um, in the race of... It's, I know, it's what you like and what you, I mean, a lot of people prefer the Airbus product and a lot of people prefer the Boeing <coughs> product, but... Um, so, I mean, so the back, back back order is basically planes that they're making for other people. I mean, got how, to be how does it take mm. to make, I mean, how long, from, from sort of, you know, the order to, I guess it depends on the backlog. I think so, Boeing, I mean, how long does Boeing, it take to create a plane? I from, think the, from, the um, 737 production line for Boeing, I think they, they try and push out seven or eight aircraft a week, I think. Right. Um, Gosh. Off the top of my head, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's a, yeah it's, sort of, it's, it's quite a I lot. I mean, they're big things to build, aren't mm, they? Mm, yeah, definitely. But um, <laughs> no, it's it's good in that, uh, you know, that it shows that there are airlines are ordering new aircraft. Yeah. Just keeping people in work. That's the main well, thing. Well, amen to that. Yes. So, next story, a favourite of Matt's. <laughs> Hello. Ryanair named least client-friendly airline as customers complain about ticket surcharges and a lack of assistance during delays. Mm. This is from the Daily Mail uh, here in the UK. <laughs> um, it's uh, Ryanair is going uh, to great lengths to improve its image and win over customers, but it has topped a list of the 10 least client-friendly airlines according to a new customer survey. The list, which places British Airways joint sixth with four other major international carriers, is based on how passengers are treated when they're making complaints. Um, Racalora, Rac, sorry, <laughs> Raclamador, a, a Spanish consumer organisation which conducted the survey, says Ryanair does not accept uh, 
to resolve complaints academically, amicably, sorry. Really? Mm, I can't believe that for one minute. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just a bit strange, that, really. Anyway, sorry. Uh, it, always, uh, it, uh, it always demands legal action, uh, but does not want to see a judgment go against it, so typically settles out of court before the hearing. Um, this particular survey company also claims that in the vast majority of cases, the airline denies clients the right to meals and refreshments in case of delays exceeding in cases of delays exceeding more than two hours. In addition, Ryanair has uh, a ticket sales surcharge of two two euros fifty, approximately two pounds, uh, in in sterling each way to refund compensation in each case of a delay. In a statement Ryanair told Mail Online Travel, this survey, which was produced by a Spanish claims website, is of dubious merit when Ryanair's traffic continues to grow strongly to 90 million customers this year. And according to the customer organisation, British Airways has the same policy as... um, Now, which airline is this, sorry? Lufthansa. 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 Air France, Finnair and... uh, and many others which are tied for sixth. Uh, the uh, Spanish uh, survey companies uh, said uh, never mediate. To summarise, the approach of these airlines would be step on you, the client, do not answer. So the top ten then yep. um, for that. The uh, ten, We do like a top list, ten. list of the said. top ten yes, so. for, uh, where are we? Here we go. Yes. So, number ten. Uh, number ten is uh, the Cuban airline, Cubana. Right. Okay. Cubana, number ten. These are the least client-friendly airlines. But surely if they just gave out a few cigars, people would <laughs> be fine about it. And uh, number uh, nine. Number nine. That, that, that is LAN, L-A-N. They're Chilean. Ooh. They're Chilean airlines. Right. Chile from Chile, yeah. Okay. And? Well, I mean, it would go. <laughs> a bowl of chili cheers me up no end there's that problem <laughs> solved next uh, on to uh, number eight is Aero Mexico right that speaks for itself they're Mexican are yeah. they right yes, okay. yes. <laughs> and at number seven uh, it's a Convasia oh splendid and and what do they do I actually have never heard of those. No, I haven't. I'm going to have to. You're going to have to look that up. Well, while you're looking up that, then I shall move on to number six, rather surprisingly, which is British Airways, Air France, Finnair, and and a couple of others. So there's quite a a cram up in for that. Uh, Number five is Pool Manta. Pool Manta is another one I've not heard of. No, not heard that one. Convasia, by the way, is uh, Bolivian. Bolivian, yes. right. Okay, are they famous for their uh, customer service care? Clearly not. Uh, <laughs> uh, number four is Air Europa. Now, who are Air Europa? Um, that's kind of, it's a Europe. Is it a conglomerate? Of Spanish, or is it? sort of European airline. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, number three is Iberia. Another Spanish, the Spanish right. airline. Okay, all right. Well, as I say, this survey was conducted by them, wasn't it? Uh, number two is another one I've not heard of. Who's that? Is Vueling? Uh, they're a, I think the Dutch airline. Right. Are, yeah. Okay. And my favourite at number one is Ryanair. <laughs> so Pool Manta Air yes. is uh, an airline based in Madrid, Spain. Oh. So a lot of Spanish airlines. In right. The list. Okay. Which I suppose, mm. if it's a Spanish survey, is is hardly a surprise. Um, but then I, I suppose because Ryanair do 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 a lot of flights into and out of Spanish airports, don't they? Yes. Yes. So they that's do. probably a why lot, they yeah. appear in that. Yeah. 
appear in that list. So next story, yeah. moving on, is Travel Weekly, this one. Yes. And Qantas uh, results uh, signal strong turnaround. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who follow uh, Stephen Grant's podcast will know that uh, yes. this year Qantas have uh, had, a, had a few struggles. Really? Um, with, yeah, with uh, changes in management structures right. and, and costs and, and stuff like that. Proper, But uh, they're forecasting a strong turnaround um, for the financial performance, which has been signalled with the airline expected to deliver its best first half results since 2010. The Australian character uh, carrier sorry, expects to report an underlying pre-tax profit of between 300 uh, million Australian dollars and 350 Australian dollars for the first six months of its uh, 2015 financial year. All operating segments of the group are expected to be profitable in the period, Qantas said in a trading update. The airline's group uh, transformation plans uh, have delivered uh, 204 million Australian dollars in savings in the second half of 2014 and is on track to release a further 350 million Australian dollars uh, in the first half of the 2015 financial year. Lower fuel prices will also uh, provide benefit um, to the company of 30 million Australian dollars. Chief Executive Alan Joyce said, Today we confirm that Qantas is set to report its best first half results since 2010. This demonstrates the strategy, uh, strategy that we have outlined to transform our business uh, and to uh, a great working point. Qantas is 12 months into a three and a half year program, but these are strongly uh, early results give us the confidence that we will continue to meet all the targets we have set. We are committed to completing the full 12 uh, or $2 billion program uh, to ensure a sustainable competitive position for the long term. So good news for Qantas. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, lovely airline, lovely airline. Yeah, quite a turn. So, I mean, I mean, how much in trouble were they then? I mean... They weren't making much of a profit. Right. That, they, were still, um, they were still they were still yeah, they making were still, a profit. Yeah, they still okay, but they weren't making a huge profit. Right. I mean, okay. most airlines weren't or haven't been no. anyway. It's just, um, but no, the lovely airline flew back with those um, in October yeah. with Qantas on their 380. Right. Uh, back from Dubai. Oh. Um, yeah, really good. Good service. Oh. The food wasn't quite as good as Emirates, but... Um, <laughs> but no, it's good. Good snacks. Good yeah. snacks. That's the main thing. Yeah, that's right. Next piece of news. Uh, business Traveller website uh, this time. And the headline is Air Canada reveals tightly configured Boeing 787-9s. Air Canada first attracted controver- controversy by squeezing passengers in- onto its B777-300ER. And it's now done the same with the Boeing 787-9 Dreamliner. The airline last year managed to fit 458 people onto a 777-300ER aircraft, um, which is more than some carriers accommodate on their larger A380s. A few airlines currently operate their stretch version of the 787. Uh, One that does is our very own Virgin Atlantic. Uh, But whereas Virgin 787-9 accommodates a maximum of 254 passengers with 31 in business class, 35 in premium economy and 198 in economy, Air Canada's 787-9 will have 298 seats with 30... With uh, 30 in business, 21 in premium economy, and 247 in economy. As such, its Boeing 787-9 will carry more passengers than those operated by New Zealand and Air New Zealand and United. 
Uh, to view a suit plan, click here, which we won't do that, obviously. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyone would have thought I was reading it. Um, the best uh, seat jump is in the economy cabins. Virgin Atlantic accommodates 198 passengers here, but Air Canada has squeezed in 247 seats. A hefty, 49 more. Uh, 40, that's crazy, isn't that's it? That's crazy, yeah. yeah. Not only are the seats uh, configured uh, 333, um, but uh, seat pitch is either 30 or 31 inches, depending on the area of the economy cabin you occupy. Premium economy doesn't look great, uh, too great either. Yes, uh, you get more space for a higher price, of course, but the small cabin doesn't look anything that particularly special. Business class, uh, as might be expected, fares best of all. Uh, the, Air, the Air Canada President, Kalin Cal- Ravosky, uh, and uh, uh, said this week, uh, the stretch Dreamliner has the capabilities to revolutionise long-haul travel. The operating economics of these new aircraft make certain routes more feasible. Yeah, I'm not surprised if you're packing them in like sardines. I mean, is that the, is that really the way forward? I mean, no, it's all, it, I think you lose uh, you lose some yeah. of the the joy in being in. I mean, even in economy, if you're squeezed in, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's. I mean, we we do go on about Ryanair, but even in with Ryanair, yeah. it's not. You're not sitting there with your knees touching the seat. Well, I'm not anyway. But no, um, no. You know, the room is quite good. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bit taller than than sort of most people, and I do do, do struggle a little bit with um, some of the some of the places. But as I say, like EasyJet actually was one that surprised me. We mm. they had a new aircraft. Um, but they've got new seats on their new aircraft mm, now. They yeah. had uh, those new seats by Recaro, which were yeah. a lot slimmer, yeah. but supposed to be um, more comfortable. Uh, than these yeah, and, they, and they, certainly from my point of view, I mean, it's, it's the only um, plane that I've been on where I've been able to actually put my seat, my legs underneath the seat and put them on the footrest. I mean, it was you know, really, really, um, really quite good. Okay, the next story then, um, which you're taking, is from the Chronicle Live. Yes, scared of flying uh, goes the headline. Terrified, yes. Really? No, I am. Okay. I hate it. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> I am. I'm no. Literally, I am grabbing hold of. I'm. I'm literally holding on for dear love. Really? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, blimey. Yeah. <laughs> I shan't be taking you up. Me. No, 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 no. Not yet. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so uh, scared of flying. EasyJet are set to launch fearless flyer courses in Newcastle. Mm. In I don't UK. know which of that which part of that story scares me the most. What Newcastle or the? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure which one. Whether it's EasyJet doing it or going to Newcastle. I went there. wrong with Newcastle. I went there once. Oh, did you? Okay. <laughs> so Newcastle's uh, biggest airline will be running uh, its life-changing fearless flyer courses in spring 2015. Folk who are scared of flying can face their fears in a unique course to be launched on Tyneside. EasyJet are set to launch uh, launch their first fearless flyer course in Newcastle for people who are too scared to take to the skies. The airline is going to be running its life-changing training courses in the spring. The two-day course, which has already helped more than 1,900 people nationwide overcome their fear of flying, will take place at the Gateshead Marriott Hotel Metro Centre on Saturday the 14th of March followed by an experienced flight to and from Newcastle International Airport on Sunday the 15th of March 2015. Course director Mark Wayne said there has been a high demand to launch the course in the northeast. he said. We're really pleased to be announcing our first fearless flyer course in Newcastle for the spring. The course, uh, which has been a phenomenal success throughout the UK in the past year, 
with over 95% of participants taking to the skies fearlessly after attending the course, which has prompted a high level of demand from people wanting uh, us to add a session in Newcastle too. This is a good idea, really, I suppose, for, you know, for people who are because there are people who are genuinely uh, mm. afraid of flying. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't enjoy flying. I never, I never particularly enjoyed it. But uh, uh, the the desire to go somewhere warm sort of out outranks out the 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 unpleasant idea of getting on an aeroplane. But uh, I mean, so I'm not as bad as most in the fact that I can actually do it. But I mean, I know people who are absolutely terrified um, of getting on a plane. I mean, it's um. Mm. And one of my, one of my best friends actually he's he flies a lot and he ironically now that he flies a lot he's much more apprehensive about getting on a plane because he knows the odds of him being involved in something that goes horribly wrong are much more stacked against him than when he was only going like what you know once every year or every couple of years so it's uh, well the stats have been the same for years now they mm, do oh, say yeah. that, that flying is uh, oh without question it is the, yeah, and, far, and, far and safer than being in the road mm. I think that's the problem with planes though isn't it the trouble is when something goes wrong it is catastrophic in mm. most cases you know and will claim sort of two three hundred lines mm. and two hundred well or four hundred and something or other. If you if you're on a on an Air Canada plane, <laughs> it's been kitted out with all these extra seats, extra in. seats, yeah, <laughs> squeezing more people in. Yeah, but no, it is. It, it, some people do find it find it hard to fly. Yeah. Uh, it, well, and, and if it helps a few more people get over there, good. Then, then good on good on mm. EasyJet, really. Mm. So next news, BBC News ah, Guernsey. Mm, I do love the BBC. Uh, this is uh, from the, their um, website, and it's mechanical failure caused Guernsey plane crash. The uh, a manacle, mechanical, a mechanical, a ma- <laughs> mechanical. It is one of those days. You need a tea. I do. Yes, absolutely. With five more stories to go, uh, a, a mechanical fault uh, caused a pilot uh, flying from Guernsey Airport to crash into a greenhouse. Pilot John Shaw said that he was extremely lucky to be alive after the crash in June. The plane filled with smoke after an exhaust pipe fractured. A report by the Air Accident Investigation Bureau has found. The passenger, Mr Shaw's wife, Linda, sustained serious injuries to her back and had to be airlifted to hospital. The couple had just left the airport at 1600 hours, British summertime, on the 17th of June 2014, on their way back to Seething Airfield near Norwich, uh, when problems developed. Thick smoke was found in the cab, the AAIB Report said that the plane, a Sakata, is it Sakata? Sakata. Sakata. Uh, TB10 Tobago Tobago, (laughs) had uh, climbed to about 1,500 feet, um, about 457 metres, when there was a sudden ingress of large quantities of smoke in the cabin. Mr Shaw declared an emergency to Guernsey Airport and turned back towards the runway. The report said the smoke was thick and choking and Mr Shaw could only find the ignition keys by feel to turn the engine off. The aircraft landed nose down in a commercial greenhouse and the couple got out as quickly as possible as they could smell aviation fuel. The AAIB report said that the fracture in a cylinder exhaust downpipe enabled hot exhaust gases to enter the plane. It said the condition of the fracture suggests that it had started as a crack which developed over a considerable period of time, but its location effectively inside the clamp would render it very difficult to see without dismantling the joint. At the time of the incident, Mr Shaw told the BBC we're extremely fortunate to be alive, particularly given the likelihood of a fire in that kind of impact is very, very high. The couple were in the island as part of an air rally organised by the Guernsey Aero Club. So at least... uh 
the good news is there that they obviously they you know, they had a few injuries, but you know they're they're, they're yeah. alive. That's yeah, good. Absolutely. That's the main thing. Yeah. Well, you know, as you say, I mean, things do go wrong, don't they? Mm. And as I say, it's like the best maintenance in the world can be can be uh, done, and but you know, every now and again, some, something does go wrong. It's uh, it's inevitable, I guess. But it's always good with a with a happy outcome. Oh yes, anyway. we like a happy ending. So travel mole, next one then, next story. And Boeing starts trials to turn tobacco into jet fuel. Okay. Mm. (laughs) Boeing and uh, South African Airways are teaming up for a development project aimed at turning tobacco into clean jet fuel. The two companies will collaborate with Sky NRG and Sunchem SA, South Africa, to produce fuel from the nicotine-free Solaris variety of tobacco plant, which South African Airways will test in flight. (laughs) The first flight uh, tests could begin next year, and it will benefit the environment and public health while providing new uh, economic opportunities for South Africa's small farmers, said Miguel Santos, Boeing's manufacturer or managing director for um, Africa. The project also positions our valued airline customer to gain a long-term viable domestic fuel supply. We are looking at between 400 to 500 million litres per annum, so it's a fairly significant amount of fuel that we can actually want to produce, said Ian Crickshank, Head of Environmental Affairs at SAA. Sustainable jet biofuel produced from the plants can reduce carbon emissions by up to 75%. Wow. Boeing has also worked uh, working on several other biofuel developments projects in the US, Europe, and Asia. So planes run on tobacco then. Wow. Okay. <laughs> You'll have ex-smokers sort of, you know, sort of <laughs> desperately trying to be behind these things. As they're, as they're. I'm surprised they haven't carried out a similar experiment like using maybe ground-based craft first, like cars and things, because... I mean, I know aviation. I mean, aviation fuel is basically a, just a much more potent version of mm. road petrol, isn't it? Mm. Um, I'm surprised that that hasn't been, um, or perhaps it has. I don't know. Perhaps I'm speaking out of turn. Perhaps they have done a trial, and it was found to be successful. Perhaps, we'll but it's, it it's. I can just envision uh, loads of people at airports standing behind engines yeah, on the aircraft. <laughs> Oh, got this gang of ex-smokers. It's like I'm gonna go. Uh, I need a cigarette. I'm just gonna go stand behind that aircraft. One moment, yes. But it, 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 if we've got to look on the bright side, it is going to be a, a environmentally friendlier way of um, powering aircraft, well, which every, is good. Always good. Yeah, every every little helps. So next um, story then. Okay, this is from the IB Times. Um, and uh, it's a story involving United Airlines. Um, United Airlines flight attendants will soon use the iPhone 6 Plus handsets on flights. The iPhone 6 Plus handsets have flown off the shelves since they became available in September, and now the handsets are taking to the skies. United Airlines plans to equip 23,000 flight attendants with iPhone 6 Plus handsets uh, by the second quarter of 2015. Flight attendants will use the phones for tasks such as handling payment transactions and accessing United's email website, intranet and policies and procedures manuals. Future enhancements include replacing the flight attendant's printed safety manual uh, with an electronic version, which I know we covered with one of the other airlines last week, Mm. wasn't it? Yes, or not the last week, the week before. Um, And providing real-time reporting and improved follow-up on aircraft cabin issues and repairs. Additionally, United plans to develop a number of customer-focused tools for the device. We are thrilled uh, to be making this investment in our flight attendants, said Sam Risley, 
United's Senior Vice President of In-Flight Services. The iPhone 6 Plus will enable them to deliver an even higher level of flyer-friendly service and will offer our flight attendants simple one-touch access to variable to valuable work information, enabling them to better serve our customers. United has been using iPads since 2011 as part of an initiative to have a paperless flying experience, recently upgrading its staff to the iPad Air 2. Several airlines have become technologically savvy in recent years. British Airways uh, utilises iPads for its business class flights from Heathrow Airport to London JFK Airport in New York, giving passengers live updates about their flights. Delta Airlines partnered with Microsoft to uh, equip 11,000 pilots with Surface 2 tablets, while flight attendants have access to 1,900 Windows Phone handsets for handling payment transactions. Virgin Atlantic UK has used Google Glass and various smartwatches to give its staff access to recent flight and passenger information. Virgin Atlantic pilots may soon use Samsung Gear VR headsets as part of their training. As, a, uh, as regulatory agencies such as the Federal Aviation Administration and Aviation Safety Agency update the rules about electronics and Wi-Fi, airlines have also been able to modify their policies and embrace technology as part of their in-flight operations. Carriers like T-Mobile also offer customers access to in-flight texting and voicemails, while smartphone makers like Apple also equip their devices with the compatible technology. I mean, it's it's probably it's, good. it's about time, really. I suppose, um, as you said, I mean, these the, the flight manuals and things are absolutely ridiculously massive, aren't they? Mm, saves on weight, yeah, absolutely, and it looks yeah. good as well. Well, yes, <laughs> it's, it's it's always going to look flash, isn't it, with your um, with your uh, I, iPhone six, you know. iPhone, yes, absolutely. Anything I worry about is if, in case they um, bend them. <laughs> yes, because the larger ones have got have had this issue, haven't they? Where if uh, they're in a pocket, if they're in a warm, the best way to describe it is if they're in a warm rear pocket, shall we say, um, and one is sort of perhaps going to sit down on them. When they are warm, they are prone to sort of. I mean, I've I mean it's amazing the screen doesn't fracture, but uh, I mean, I've seen some amazing videos on YouTube and things where these things have literally bent. Uh, not like in half or anything crazy like that, but you know, there's a definite curve. curve. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'll stick to my Android phone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other phones are available. Yeah, yes. of course. Yes, uh, yes. Travel Mall. Then next story. Yeah. Uh, UK airports named and shamed over Christmas delays. Oh yeah. Luton Airport, which is an airport Matt is flying yes. from very soon. Can't wait. That's sort of Luton middle Airport. Of January. <laughs> yes. Luton Airport has been branded the worst airport for Christmas flight delays. Oh, better not let mother see this one. <laughs> by a law firm specialising in flight delay claims. Right. According to flightcompensation.com, 56.61% of all Luton flights were delayed by 15 minutes or more last December. Stansted came in a close second with 54.9%, followed by Gatwick with 54.27%. Manchester Airport managed 42.28%, Southampton with 39.29%, and Bournemouth with 38.64%, uh, which were also included in the top 10 naughty list, along with North Holt, Presswick, and Nottingham East Midlands. Uh, Heathrow Airport came in at number 9 with 31.84% of flights delayed. In comparison, the best airports for on-time departures were Southend, Cambridge, 
city of Derry and Isle of Scilly, where no delays longer than 15 minutes took place during December at all. The study also shamed airports which had the highest number of Christmas flight delays over three hours long, uh, the point at which passengers are potentially eligible for flight delay compensation under EU regulations. Glasgow Airport was found to be the airport with the highest percentage of delays over three hours, with 1.33% of all flights delayed uh, by over 180 minutes. London Gatwick came in at a number two with 118 delays lasting over three hours, uh, 1.32% of all departures that month. It was also the airport that was affected by the longest delay in December of 25 hours and nine minutes on a British <laughs> Airways flight to Larnaca, Cyprus. London Heathrow was third uh, with 198 delays, 1.02%, uh, and London uh, Luton and Stansted and London City Air or Airport also reached the top 10 worst airports in the study. Also included in the top 10 worst airports for delays of three hours or more were Nottingham East Midlands with nine-hour delays, Manchester with 40 delays, uh, and Southampton with 10 delays. In contrast, no flight delays of three hours or more were recorded at Bristol, Liverpool or Bournemouth last December. But you're not flying in December, though, are you? No, 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 no we're flying in January. The only thing I would say against that that report, what's a little bit, basically, if you read that, what it what it's listing are the UK's busiest airports. Mm. There's the always air- going to be delays. But, yeah, exactly. And the airports that they listed as the ones that are doing better... Mm are the smaller ones like Cambridge. I mean, Cambridge only has Tiny. small craft Tiny. flying in and out of it. It doesn't have anything of any well, major... They do have larger stuff. Most of the larger stuff flying in and out of Cambridge is military. Right. And yeah. big military stuff because uh, yeah. you've got marshals at Cambridge. Mm. Um, but also, but like, say, South End being mentioned, okay, there mm. are a few more because I know um, um, EasyJet fly a lot out of there now. Yeah. Um, and, and But, I mean, Derry has three flights a day. Three, four flights a day. I mean, that's hardly a fair comparison. Mm. You know, so it's like, we, <laughs> I, I, that, I, I don't know, I just don't think it's a very fair very fair survey. Um, you know, it's like, you know, the, the shock, you know, the shock news in that story is the fact that the airlines with the most planes going in and out of it have had the most delays. Mm. That's hardly a surprise, is it? Or is Not, it just me? No, it's, there's de- I mean, yeah. it happens all the time. Like I say, there's yeah. delays all the time. Yeah. It's just a bit, obviously, the bigger airports are going to have yeah. more delays over it. Well, of course they are. Say, Let's just hope it's not like that this December. Uh, uh, well, no, that's true. Yes, if, if you're flying out, then, well, if you are flying out uh, in December and, and you are delayed, obviously, let us know. Yes. Get so we have got some good news on the next story for Luton have Airport. Have we? Right. Oh, so this is, this is Luton Airport again, and this is uh, with mkweb.co.uk. And uh, their uh, their uh, news is that uh, the summer holidays, EasyJet announce new routes from Luton Airport for under forty pounds. Good, wow! Good. It might not even be Christmas yet, but if you're already thinking about booking next year's holiday, EasyJet have named new routes from Luton for summer getaways. There will soon be forty nine destinations to EasyJet um, offered to EasyJet customers from the airport with the news. Split um, is the latest destination added to... Oh, hello. What happened there? <laughs> the computer is going mad. It is. It's having a moment. We'll try that again. So there will soon be 49 des- destinations offered to EasyJet customers uh, from the airport with the news. Split is the latest destination added to the company's roster. The Croatian city-based... Um, 
in the Adriatic coast will see the airline visit it three times a week with the company expecting to carry 750 passengers a week to and from this new destination. The route will cost from 38.99 one way from Luton fares per person based on two people travelling on the same booking. This news comes after EasyJet announced that they had added uh, another four routes including a, a location in Morocco. Uh, Essoria. Uh, pardon? Essoria in Morocco. <laughs> Lovely. A big up and coming surfing location to their summer destinations from Luton. EasyJet will base an additional three aircraft at London Luton Airport, bringing the total number of based aircraft to 18, including the new routes. The airline is expected to fly 4.9 million passengers from the airport throughout next year, an increase of 500,000 passengers in the last 12 months. Neil Slaven, UK commercial manager at EasyJet, said, We are pleased to be continuing our expansion at London Luton Airport. Our new route to split means we've added five new routes this summer helping us to deliver an unrivaled network of destinations the airport is currently under 100 million pounds worth of development Good. following their record breaking summer for passenger numbers i mean i've i've flown out of luton once before and i don't feel any different about luton than i do stanstead to be honest it's been really we, yeah, i mean the only mm. neg- the only negative is it isn't necessarily the easiest airport for us to get to from here mm. um because it's all right until you leave the M11 from where we are, and then pick up the sort of the four o the five o five or whatever it is, and go around there, and that's not the best road. Um, but I mean, it's really not. It's, it's. I mean, we've flown from there quite a few times now. Yeah. We, we normally fly from there to Malta right. with Ryanair yeah. because it's so cheap. Yeah, the yeah, flights are so yeah. cheap. But so I just find Luton a bit of a disjointed air airport to go through, right. um, well. and their, their security. Uh, section where you go through the x-ray machines and the doorways and that is is just set up a bit i mean they might have changed it now because they're going through redevelopment as it said yeah but it used to be a case of you'd, you'd be queued up in some really interesting shaped queues to try right. and um, get through <laughs> get you security and stuff and it right. was a nightmare mm. which is why i generally tend to always pay that i think it's about a tenny you sometimes get it with the uh, loungers the, right uh, you can you can go at the number one service or service right. air loungers Pay about ten quid and you get like a fast track okay. uh, lane yeah. through security, which is is worth it, right? Because you can just walk you through, just walk straight through, and miss yeah. the queues. It's fantastic. Yeah. We've done it before. So yeah. now, uh, now the next story. This is from the Travel, Travel Mole website. Now, this one has really rather taken me by surprise. Having mm. talking about certain aircrafts being on on massive back order um this this story's taken me very much by surprise yeah this one i found i heard early this week about this story and then uh, couldn't didn't really believe it until mm. i saw the reports online but uh, the story uh on travel mole site is airbus might discontinue the airbus a380 what? their big super jumbo <laughs> the news that airbus uh, may uh, choose to discontinue the production of the A380 in 2018 has upset customers and knocked its share prices. The possibility that the group might stop production was muted by the aircraft manufacturing giant as it unveiled that its expected profits would be flat in 2016. Its financial director, Harold Wilhelm, told analysts that the Airbus would be able to break even on the Super Jumbo by 2018 if we would do something on the product or even if we would discontinue the product. 
Airbus has been considering three options with the A380 to cut production to invest in new and uh, a new engine to make it more attractive to buyers, or can discontinue it altogether. The announcement has knocked Airbus shares by 10.4% and prompted an angry response from Emirates boss Tim Clark. Clark told Reuters that if Airbus decide to go down uh, the upgrade route and add a new Rolls-Royce engine to the aircraft, Emirates would eventually replace the 140 aircraft it had ordered with the new version. But he told the news agency that he's not particularly happy, as you can imagine. We are on the hook for this plane. I get pretty miffed when we have put so much at stake. Mm. Following the reaction, Airbus head of corporate communications, Rainer Olher, issued a statement saying the entire Airbus top management continues to believe strongly in the market prospects of the 380, but any investment by Airbus requires a sound business case, which we will have to continue to study. In another blow early this week, Qatar Airways has announced it will be postponing delivery of its A350 jetliner until further notice, but refused to give a reason. Qatar Airways has ordered 80 of the new aircraft, making it possibly the biggest A350 customer. Um, it's a shame, really. It's, it's, it it's seemed... a crazy sort of decision if they yeah. do decide to make it, because um, Emirates are a huge customer of the 380. Yeah. A huge customer. And they're not. It's not that an older plane. Is no, it? no, no. I mean, not I, at all. I know upgrading and all that kind of. I just, I just, I'm, I'm just very surprised by 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 their decision. Frankly, I, I, I don't. Well, I mean, there's nothing's been confirmed as such as yet, has it? I mean, no, this no, is no, all, no. This is this only is just um, talk. amusing, yeah. isn't it? But um, but you, you, sort of, you I think it's a, it's a massive case of that. The airlines who buy these have got to fill yeah. them. Because um, you have to bear in mind that uh, Emirates at uh, Dubai is a massive hub. Yeah. A lot of people fly to Dubai to then carry on to other countries. Yeah, um, you know, and they're flying the three hundred and eighty from Heathrow um, yeah. to Dubai, and they're filling the aircraft. Right, as we found Gosh. in October, because our aircraft was full. Yeah, um, but if you're going to buy this aircraft, you've got to fill it. You yeah. have to fill it. Um, but no, the A380 first flew in 2005. Right. Um, Gosh. And uh, as of uh, this year, there's been 147 of those built. Right. Um, as of November this year, 147 A380s have been built. But they do cost you um, $414.4 million each. Right. So not cheap. Not cheap no. at all. No, right now on to our last last story, story in the in this new the section. big story, and it is the big story really. Uh, certainly, uh, if you're based here in the UK, in the fact that um, Nats um, and I might have to change machine here because it's the story's playing up a little bit. But um, the, the the one that I'm trying to read here is actually from the Independent, uh, and it's basically say that London airspace shuts after a catastrophic computer failure. Um, dozens of flights across London and the South East of England have been cancelled and many others are delayed following a computer failure at the National Air Traffic Control Centre. Eurocontrol, the European Organisation for the Safety of Air Navigation, said the computer failure had occurred at Nats UK Aircraft Air Traffic Control Centre in Swanwick, Hampshire and for a time no flights were able to take off or land at some UK airports. Um... Yes, her page loading there. Yeah, yes. sorry. Uh, it's uh, the uh, the failure affected London and South Southern UK airspace, and Eurocontrol initially wanted it uh, warned it could uh, cause potential severe flight delays. 
At around 4pm, Air Traffic uh, Management Group Nats said that the system had been restored and it was in the process of returning to normal operations. Nats is now investigating the cause of the fault but stressed that it was not due to a power outage. It went on to warn passengers that it will take time for operations across the UK to fully recover and advised customers to contact their airline for the status of their flight. Airports uh, are as far as north as Aberdeen and Edinburgh were hit by the computer problem with Birmingham, Manchester, Luton and Bristol also reporting problems. Stansted and Gatwick were also experiencing problems but the airports escape more likely than places like Heathrow where the rate of 80 to 90 flights um, handled every hour means that even a comparatively short systems failure leads to very, very severe problems. Now, I was looking this story up because I was say I've got a bit of a bit of an IT background and I wanted to know a little bit more about why this particular system went down because before we started recording actually myself and Carlos were having having this very conversation weren't Mm, we and the one thing that um, I was very surprised to discover when I was doing my research is there was a big thing about how a new computer system had been put in at uh, I can't remember where it was was it was it down south um, there was a, a new control centre. There was anyway, certainly here in the UK, there were big fanfares about a new air traffic control system being installed with all new computers. Swanick, Swanick. Oh right, so it, it is this. It is the the new centre that that, that that experienced mm. the problems. Now I was I've, I've listened to various um, fairly what, what I would consider reliable sources like BBC and such like who have mentioned. Um, uh, the, the thing is, like, because it, it was only, um, oh, it was probably less than five. It was only about five years ago, wasn't it, when they put this new system in? Yeah, it wasn't long ago. It wasn't long ago, but uh, the research basically found um, that uh, it was, um, although they're new computer systems, it's still based on old technology, if you like, that's been around since the sixties, and the excuse that was given as to why they they would. They were um, basically every time they do a system upgrade, what they're doing is putting a band aid on the old problem. And the reason why they can't put in a whole new computer system is purely and simply because it's always in operation. They can't ever take it offline. Now, I disagree with that personally. I think um, there's no reason at all why you couldn't run two systems simultaneously. You could have the existing system that's working at the moment and then have a secondary system, if you like, while they trial new software and, and make you, well, you know, it's got no responsibility, is like, but you could do, you know, sort of side by side trials for a year. And I think the only reason they haven't done it is because presumably the government who would have to, to front this up are not willing to spend the money on it. And I think that's maybe a controversial decision. Mm. But, you know, there are systems out there. I mean, the Americans changed to a new, um, f- you know, air traffic control system um, sort of a, sort of in 2005. And that system has been very reliable. Um, and they did exactly that. They did side-by-side trials between the old system and the new system. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 they're just finding excuses. You know, I mean, they've got to solve this problem. I mean, it's obviously, it's obviously reached a break break point now because we've had a couple of breakdowns now in the last mm. sort of two years. And it we? couldn't have happened at a worse time of no, year either. No, busier time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, it's really, really not good. But uh, as I say, from the BBC website, it was saying that. Uh, um, it uh, fr- Friday's disruption to the UK flights caused a computer malfunction at Nats Swanick Centre. Uh, one of the MPs has called for the Nats chief executive to be docked his bonus. You know, <laughs> sort of taking it very seriously. As I say, there's sort of leaping to his defence a bit mm. here, really, because I do feel that it's not entirely his fault. You know, because they're 
you know they're working on old technology you know mm. and for whatever reason the money isn't being invested in updating updating that technology um yeah, but anyway after much research what it's turned out to be that the actual fault was caused by a faulty line of code that's been in the program in the software from day one uh, and it's only now that it's sort of reared its reared its ugly head yeah and look at the chaos well yes this is it i mean you you were saying that uh there was um yeah someone yeah. Had, someone had taken a screenshot on yeah. uh, flight radar 24 the brilliant app you yeah. can get on android and uh, and i and i the uh, ios systems and stuff yeah and uh, they're taking a screenshot of when this the system went down just after and obviously the flights were delayed and uh, it was interesting to see sort of over london there mm. was um pretty much nothing nothing going um, on at all yeah. and a few flights sort of here and there sort of high level flights yeah uh, that were going around and uh, <laughs> it was it's, you just don't see it like that you no, know um, no. the last time we saw anything like that um was kind of uh, sort of you know, 2001 yeah. um and obviously when the yeah. uh, the ash cloud as well Gosh. but i'm just looking on the nat site here at the moment yeah. while you've been on talking about that and uh, on the on the national and the tra- air traffic control service site and because uh, they have an updated system on here, which tells everyone about um, uh, about the flights and takeoffs and landings. And yesterday, they handled in the UK four thousand seven hundred and forty flights. Blimey! Uh, today, as of eight minutes ago, mm. um, there was uh, eight hundred and one flights departed the UK. Yeah, uh, six hundred and twenty-two landed. And 465 aircraft are currently airborne uh, above the UK. Now, the fault wasn't actually with um, the air traffic control system itself, mm. was it? It was actually the flight, flight planning, planning Yeah, system. the flight planning system. And, and the reason why they were grounded was because... You need ve- to file a flight plan. Yeah, you couldn't, literally, you couldn't file a flight plan. Therefore, air traffic control... Uh, in in London were unable to allow you to take off because you hadn't been able to file your flight plan, you know, and all, all because of a, one line of faulty code. But the the latest update on the Nats website um, is that things are getting back to normal, right? Um, which is good. Now, um, where are we? We're, we're three days after mm-hmm. the failure, aren't we? And it's, things are only now after three days beginning to get. Yeah. I, mean, I suppose you, I suppose you've got then the problem in the fact that other operations are having to be. Um, sort of cancelled or, or altered because the planes aren't where they're supposed to be. Mm. So they've not reached their next destination where people who have been planning their, their routes and things, you know, aircraft aren't where they're supposed to be. Mm. Mm. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be in, in, in anyone's <laughs> shoes I mean, trying to clear that particular mess up. You know, we were talking just a minute ago about the A380s. Yeah. Just, just glancing on flight radar yeah. here. And um, this... I mean, in the over the UK, as we as we we do this show now mm. on Sunday at uh, twenty to twelve in the afternoon, mm. um, we've got uh, there's a BA three eighty, yeah, uh, which is heading to Los Angeles from London Heathrow. Yes, there's an Emirates three eighty which is uh, going from Houston to Dubai. There's an, another Qatar three eighty which is coming into Heathrow from Doha, uh, which is uh, over the UK at the moment. Mm. Um, so we're going to have to do some. Going to have to do some, do some digging and find out. See if see. I mean, I find it hard to believe that it's through lack of orders. I think they're expecting more to fly off the shelves, but gradually airlines are starting to get these aircraft. I mean, yeah, BA have, have only just got theirs. You have to theirs. acknowledge that we've just come out of a massive recession, mm. and so people have been running with the older aircraft because mm. they don't know what to. You know, you don't know how in a recession you don't know how much your um you know f- flight is going to be uh, impacted by um people not having quite so much money floating around mm. 
don't know. It's funny, funny times. Funny right, times. so we're going to leave the news segment yes, there sorry, then yes. of the weekly news. I'm whittling and... on again, aren't I? No, 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 not. <laughs> Would you like a quick brew? Or? I would very much so, yes. Okay. Yeah. White with one would be great. White, Thank white you. with one yes. sugar. Excellent. So while Carlos puts the kettle on, uh, we'll have a few messages from our sponsors. Yes, we will. Thank you. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we <laughs> Don't forget, you too can contact the show and leave your messages for Simon and Carlos. Contact them via their website at www.plaintalkinguk.com or email them at plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send them your messages. They really want to hear from you. Yes, we really do want to hear from you, don't we, Matt? We certainly do. We certainly do. So we've got some military aviation news then to bring to you now. Yes. Uh, so if you're ready, Matt, we're going to bring you that news. It is jingle time. Jingle time. So with a splattering of military aviation news, uh, would you like to take the first one? Not really. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> first one is from Flight Global, uh, and it's uh, more, more news uh, to do with Airbus. Airbus lands Anglo-French A40M support deal, uh, with a combined uh, six uh, of the aircraft now being flown by the Air Forces. The Defence Ministries of France and the UK have signed a contract covering collaborative in-service support arrangements for the Airbus A40-400. M Atlas Transport. Announced by the nations on the 8th of December, the development covers initial maintenance support for the Atlas airliner. In addition to uh, spare parts pooling and the establishments of the maintenance engineering services to the benefit of both air forces. The nations say in a joint statement the contract has been placed with Airbus Defence and Space via Europe's OCAR procurement agency so uh, that's um now th- these are quite big planes these mm, ones aren't they yeah. these, these are the big ones we were talking about before we covered the uh, we covered these before in mm, uh, previous yeah. shows they're, they're kind of a, a posh version of the hercules yeah absolutely so the the, the uk defense uh, equipment and support aid, uh, organization has valued its two-year contract as being worth 175 million pounds that is 274 million dollars france has not disclosed the size of its award but its dga defense procurement body said that its arrangement will run from the conclusion of a current introduction 
to to service support arrangements with Airbus in early February 2015 until September 2016. Airbus has so far delivered five of the 50 A400Ms on order for the French Air Force, while the Royal Air Force's first 22 Atlas transports, ZM400, uh, arrived at its Bryce Norton base in Oxfordshire in mid-November, so that's uh, a so surprisingly sort of good news um, for um, for Airbus. Um, as I say, I'm still I'm still reeling from the previous previous segment and uh, and the story about them sort of cancelling the 380. Really, they're 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 very much an, an organisation in in demand. But the 400M, as sort of all we we keep saying, is is really awesome. I can't mm. wait for you to see that. Hopefully, yeah, the air no, shows no, next yeah, year. Can't when you wait, come. Yeah. Next story then, Flight Global. Dutch Army seeks Raven replacement. So the uh, Royal Netherlands Army is preparing a request for proposals for the replacement of its uh, Aerovironment RQ-11 Raven unmanned air vehicle. Mm. The service expects to release the RFP in early 2015. There are only two catalysts for the replacement. The current Raven support contract is due to end in 2015, and the Army has identified three distinct user groups that would benefit from the different capabilities of a small UAV. Lieutenant Colonel Peter Mink, senior US, uh, UAS advisor to the commander of the Army, told the US, uh, US Training and Simulation Conference in London, Mink says it's unlikely uh, the Army would operate UAVs larger than those in the small tactical category in the near future. The nation's Air Force already operates the larger medium-altitude long-endurance general dynamics aeronautical systems MQ-9 Reaper. Of the ground's three radar groups identified the special forces, including the Marines, require only a limited endurance of about one hour. Uh, reconnaissance users require a mid-range operating time, while users flying UAVs for national operations require the longest endurance of the more than three hours. The Raven's day and night cameras have uh, to be swapped out, so an integrated dual payload is also a requirement. Meanwhile, oh blimey, oh steady. <laughs> Bit of a peanut pop there. Oh, okay. uh, meanwhile, the uh, nation's military police, which falls under the army structure, is also looking for a rotary wing UAV. It's expected that uh, a family of systems will be required to replace the 25 Raven systems in service. Mink acknowledges that the army is slightly behind in its acquisition of a replacement system, but the service hopes to have a new UAV enter service by the end of 2015. Some more UAV news then. It's mm. good, good. So they're seeking a replacement for the Raven. So what is what is the Raven? What's the? It's, uh... it's kind of a handheld thrown UAV. They kind, oh. they kind of throw it into the air, kind of Gosh. thrown by hand UAV, but. Um, it's it's awesome. Got the cameras and stuff on it, and cool. see loads of stuff. So this is more for reconna- reconnaissance yes. and things like that. So next story then, Flight Global. Flight Global, yes, uh, and uh, this is this is a story involving the Typhoon. With the Typhoon undergoes storm shadow drop tests. An MBDA storm shadow missile was successfully deployed from a Eurostar Typhoon. Um, Eurostar. Sorry, <laughs> I, mean, I mean Eurofighter. I'm so sorry. Uh, from a Eurofighter typhoon during a series of trials in November, led by um, Amershi. 
Alenia, Alenia Amershi, testing of the long-range standoff precision weapon on board uh, the aircraft has been underway for some 12 months as part of the Typhoon's missile integration program, resulting in the weapon release trials from last month. During the tests, the weapons were, which were released uh, from the Typhoon uh, were tracked uh, by radar until it impacted onto the target, target, Eurofighter has said. Development aircraft, the IPA-2, operated by Alina, uh, initially underwent uh, early weapons integration flexibility testing that featured a configuration of two Storm Shadows, two Ray- Raytheon AIM-9L air-to-air missiles, Missiles and four under fuselage advanced medium range air to air missiles. Six further flights were then completed to assess the Storm Shadow's capability with the Eurofighter's air data system, while flutter and structural coupling tests were also carried out. Assessment of the performance and loads on the aircraft while carrying the missiles were were completed in March 2014 under the extended WIF Phase 1 program. Five flights were performed with the Storm Shadow installed and a further three with a baseline configuration. These tests will be followed by work on the instrumented missiles for the environmental data gathering trials of Phase 3. Additional work will include flights with the automatic pilot uh, in the new aircraft configuration and further sorties to assess um, handling Eurofighter has added. The Royal Air Force alongside BAA Systems and MBDA has also completed the first trial installation of the Storm Shadow of its Typhoons. The RAF and the Italian Air Force have also used the missile on the Panavia GR4 Tornado fleets. The 5 metre long Storm Shadow is powered by a turbojet engine, has a range of 135 Nm, that's 250 kilometres, and weighs approximately 1,300 kilograms or 2,870 pounds. The Storm Shadow will allow operators to strike day or night in all weather conditions and um, against well-defended targets that otherwise would require several aircraft and or missions to carry out the same task. The missile will be available to operators when the Typhoon Phase 2 enhancements become operational. Just reading up on this uh, Storm Shadow. Yeah. Classed as uh, an air-launched cruise missile. Yeah. And uh, has a unit cost of £790,000. Um I was just reading this, the speed. This thing travels at a speed of 1,000 kilometres an hour, which is uh, Mach 0.8. Yeah. So it's quite, uh, quite a speedy sort of... Uh, Gosh, that, that's almost sound barrier stuff, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Um, and as Matt said, they've, uh, they've got these... Or fitted, uh, they fit them on the tornadoes, the Eurofighter, and they've also uh, had launch platforms fitted on the Mirage 2000s and the Raphaels. Um, but uh, that's... Pretty, pretty awesome looking bit of kit that yeah, is. Yeah. Um, but that was brought into service in 2002. Gosh. Uh, that, uh, Been about longer than you think then, really. Mm. Yeah. So next piece of news then, uh, Flight Global again. Lockheed completes Tunisian C-130J deliveries. Right. Lockheed Martin has completed deliveries of the C-130J tactical transport to Tunisia with the nation's Air Force having received its second example of the next-generation Hercules on the 11th of December, which was only a few days ago. 
Tunisia ordered the pair of the stretched fuselage C-130Js in 2010, making it the first African customer to commit to the type. Registered as Tango Sierra Mike Tango Kilo, its lead example uh, was transferred in April 2013. The nation's Air Force also currently operates six C-130Bs and the Lone H model as well of the Hercules. Um, just looking here on here, it's a nice, it's lovely looking aircraft again as well, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Do you see what I mean about the similarities between uh, this Hercules and the A400M yeah. we were talking about mm. earlier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very similar looking aircraft. Yeah. The 400M's a little bit bigger. Mm. Um, Is the 400M prop as well? Yes, yeah, yes, right. they are both prop, yeah. Um, but the Hercules was kind of the sort of benchmark, really. Right, you know, yeah. yeah. So Tunisia's new C-130Js will support operations across the mission spectrum, including relief efforts around the world, firefighting and traditional airlift sorties, according to Lockheed. Um, the Ascend Records database, um, another 13 African nations is currently operating uh, a combined 76 legacy Hercules, and Libya has requested the possible purchase of two J-model aircraft. That, that worries me. <laughs> well, well, it's all, it's all purchasing going on. That's well, yes, that's true. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to move on to the next story once the laptop uh, finds. There, there we are. So it's, it's Flight Global again, and this time it's a story, uh, Greece. Uh, perhaps they're having a little more luck in their financial uh, situation at the moment. Greece approved to buy 10 US Army CH-47Ds Chinooks. Now, they're the helicopters, aren't they? Yes, Chinooks. they're the yeah. twin, twin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boeing has been given the go-ahead to sell 10 uh, Chinooks uh, heavy lift helicopters to Greece. The US Defence Security Cooperation Agency has announced uh, on the 11th of December. Greece requested and the US State Department approved the sale of up to 10 of these D-model Chinooks and uh, supporting equipment for the total cost of $150 million. Rather than a foreign military sale by Boeing to Greece, the deal has no principal contractor. The aircraft will come from the US Army stock, the DSCA has said. Greece already operates a fleet of 15 of these Chinooks, meaning that it will have no difficulty absorbing these helicopters into its armed forces, the announcement has said. The deal will require assignment of US government or Boeing personnel to Greece at some point. The D-model Chinook has been um, supplanted in the US Army by the CH-47F, which sports an upgraded Honeywell T55-714A engine, a Rockwell Collins Common Avionics Architecture System, the CAAS, cockpit and BAE systems digital advanced flight control system eventually the US Army will replace all of its Chinooks with the CH-47F the Army also uh, has already upgraded many of its D-model Chinooks to the CH-47F configuration but it will take delivery of hundreds of new F models uh, which have been milled single construction airframe that eliminates many of the metal seams that wear from vibration Boeing has already built at least 300 of these F-model Chinooks, which are being marketed uh, also to international customers. In this case, Greece is buying the D-model Chinooks the Army has replaced with the upgraded CH-47F. 
The Greek government requested the sale of a host of spare parts and support equipment along with the 10 CH-47Ds that included 23 T55-GA-714A engines, 20 of which will be installed and three spares. The country also wants enough common missile warning systems, high-slash-very-high-slash-ultra-high-frequency radios, direction finder sets, GPS navigation sets, homing radios and transponders to outfit the the 10 helicopters with spares left over. This sale will contribute to both the United States and Greece's defence and security and security goal of greater stability in the um, the Balkans and the uh, Levant regions by enhancing a critical helicopter lift capability. The DSCA says this sale will facilitate greater in inoperability of Greek systems, both bilaterally and within NATO. So it's quite a big sale from the US Army then. Presumably, essentially, they're, they're selling old stock, essentially, aren't they? They're, mm. they're upgrading to the newer Chinook, basically. Uh, it's all, it's all re- good recycling, isn't it? It is. I'll just, do, you, uh, do you know when the uh, Chinook first came into service? I know it's an old one, isn't it? 1962. Gosh, gosh, gosh. Uh, that the Chinook was introduced thing, in the yeah. service in September 1962. Yeah. And there's been over 1,200 of those built as well. Gosh. Yeah. Um, but, they are, uh, po- I mean, they, they're a great thing to see, aren't they? I mean, no, they're, they're, they're a highlight of most air, sh- air shows, aren't they? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You can hear them coming as well. <laughs> um, miles away. And see them coming, as yeah. I did last week when I was flying. Ooh. Yes, I had one fly directly towards me uh, about... Uh, <laughs> Were you concerned you'd upset someone? <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. Actually, I, I was on. Uh, I was on finals. Uh, oh, right. To uh, two seven left. Right. At, at you Beckles. mean final approach? Final yeah. approach. Yeah, okay. And um, the, these guys had uh, radioed in um, from RAF Odiham, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Chinook base here in the UK. Yeah. And they'd radioed. They were doing a training exercise, and uh, I was coming into land, mm-hmm. and they were doing a fly pass of the field. Just offset to the runway, um, oh, obviously right. not obviously not coming straight towards me, but no, no, no. Off, off to my right, <laughs> close enough. Um, but it was it was close enough to uh, for me to look out the uh, cockpit windows. We're coming at the land and, and see the Chinook just sort of comes towards me and fly past. See, us. If it, if, even if it was you know several hundred feet away, which I'm quite sure it was. I think. Oh yeah, it, it was. It was I, think, I think if yeah. I looked out out of my my aeroplane window and saw a Chinook very close to me, I think my first respect, response would be something along the lines of. It would. Yeah. I tell you, it was awesome. It made for a really, really good end to the lesson. Well, yeah, um, I'm seeing that because yeah, yeah. it's the first time I've seen one. Well, well seen one whilst I'm flying. Yeah, whilst you're flying, <laughs> whilst I'm up flying. in the air also. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Okay. Next story then. Yeah, uh, flight global again. Northrop yep. delivers uh, first Sabre radar for Taiwan's F-16s. Northrop Grumman has delivered the first several development radars sold to Taiwan as an upgrade for their Lockheed Martin F-16s. The APG-83 scalable. Agile Beam Radar, or SABR, S-A-B-R, will replace Northrop's mechanically scanned APG-68 system in Taiwan's F-16s. Northrop developed the first SABR, an active electronically scanned array, uh, within 16 months of contract awarded uh, by Taiwan. The AESA radar upgrade is a key element of Lockheed's F-16V upgrade concept. It also includes a new mission computer and cockpit display upgrades. Northrop designed uh, Sabre to offer simultaneous air-to-air and air-to-ground search and track capability. 
and it's similar to the AESA technology developed for Northrop's APG-77 radar installed on the Lockheed F-22 and APG-81 on board the F-35. F-16s, you seen these uh, in flight? They're the yeah, one, yeah, yeah. awesome, awesome. Yeah, they are, they are. Old, but really good, yeah. really good. I used, I used to have a flight simulator game that, that, that involved <laughs> the, uh, the F-16, and I used, I used to love it. I, I mean, well, I think we're going to see this more and more now, aren't they, as, as they move away from... Mechanical. Um, mechanical targeting yeah. systems to sort of electronic mm. ones. I mean, it, it's, it's just it's just common sense, isn't it? Really, first flew two years before we were born. Oh Matt. no, <laughs> nineteen seventy four. The F sixteen been around for a little while. Then. Been around for a long yeah. while, and there's been over four and a half thousand of these aircraft produced. Wow, which is amazing. Yeah. Well, and they're still in service, so I mean mm, that obviously yeah. says something about them and their manoeuvrability and capabilities and things. So our last story yep. then for the military news this week. Yes, uh, is the good old Royal Air Force. Um, sort of here in the UK and uh, this particular story released on the 10th of December of 2014 and that's Royal Air Force squadrons will deploy to the United States in January at uh, the top of their game thanks to the Tartan flag a training exercise designed to prepare RAF personnel for exercise red flag the most demanding challenging and tactically complex air war fighting training anywhere in the world in the new year, the Typhoon forced, Force, led by one uh, fighter squadron, will join um, five Army Cooperation Squadron flying the Sentinel R1 and eight squadron flying the E-3D at uh, Nellis Air Force Base, Nevada, for three weeks of highly intensive training. Officer Commanding 1, F Squadron Wing Commander Mike Sutton said, uh, in order to get ourselves into good shape for the red flag, we're running a, a workup period of training here at RAF, RAF Lossimath called Tartan Flag. The exercise involves up to 20 fast jets conducting the most challenging high-end training sorties that we can generate here in the UK. We're also fighting against a number of simulated threat aircraft, again up to uh, about 20 in number, also using the Sentinel and the E-3D from RAF Waddington. And we're doing air-air refuelling on a daily basis. The exercise is not limited to air-to-air sorties. The Typhoon Force is exercising its swing roll capability, as Wing Commander Sutton explained. Red Flag is predominantly a swing roll training opportunity for us. By swing roll, we're taking the Typhoons and employing it in the air-air, then then the air ground roll in the same sortie. We can flick between the two at a second's notice. Tartan flag is representative of the challenges that maintaining a swing roll squadron have. So in the past, the RAF has had fast jets that have conducted single roll missions with the Harriers, Jaguars and Tornado GR4s doing the air ground uh, task and the Tornado F3 doing the air air task. With the Typhoon, we can do all of that and more, and it's a complex and dynamic challenge to remain good at all of that. One day, you'll be sitting, uh, you'll be sitting QRA and thinking about whether you might uh, have to launch an intercept at an unidentified aircraft. The very next day, you could then be doing a night close air support mission, and the day after that, you could be leading a strike package uh, or doing air combat against the an, an F-15 Eagle. So that's an awful lot of skills, uh, an awful lot of uh, skill sets that have to be maintained and knowledge to retain, and we have to work very hard to do that. He added, 
what we're trying to do here is set our air air skills as high as we possibly can as well as ensuring everyone is as familiar and tactically astute with the p p1eb upgrade that we've recently taken on with the employment of pavy fours and so this is a really swing roll workup period for us as well. The squadron recently became the first frontline typhoon squadron to drop the paveway fours an operationally an operationally proven 500 pound GPS and laser guided bomb. Wing commander Sutton said while the typhoon has been doing multi-role sorties for a number of years with the paveway four integration that we now have uh, we've got a, a true swing roll fighter and we can be extremely effective at fighting through threats dropping targets and self-protecting against extremely potent surface to air threats as well so it's uh, this is a quite, huge mission then it a is huge yeah, training it's quite, a, thing. quite a mouthful as well <laughs> quite a mouthful. It's not the smoothest read i've ever done in my life but uh, then as i say there's a lot of information to, to do. so i didn't realize that they tended that previously they tended to use two two aircraft one for air to air um combat and one for air to ground so so this particular plane is actually going to combine the, the two um mm. now that they've completed the upgrades it's actually capable of doing both Yes, yeah. and it's. I mean, they're obviously, like I said, we're joining joining with yeah. the US to uh, do this. It's, it's going to yeah. be one one mega yeah. uh, training mission. To I suppose uh, it all helps with sort of smaller resources and mm. things like that. I suppose in a time where because these guys have been uh, up in the air quite a bit uh, mm. with all these uh, Russian um, yeah. aircraft uh, yeah. coming coming along to say hello. Well, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm, yes, hello, yes, what are you doing in our airspace? I'm a, I'm a huge bomber, look yeah, at me. Yes, hello. Yeah. Yes. Well, it, it, and it's sort of scary, you know, I, I suppose it, it, it helps uh, when they're, um, you know, when resources are scarce, I suppose if they can get one plane to do both just as just by doing a couple of upgrades, um, then that that is that is the way. So, <laughs> so that's where we're going to bring the military news segment yeah. to a close then this week. Yeah. Uh, Matt's got to get away. Yeah. Uh, we've, we're running out of time vastly quickly here. Mm. Uh, but uh, just some updates uh, for those of you who, who look at the web or follow, look at our website, uh, you'll notice that we've updated our website to include Mr. <laughs> Smith on there. Uh, what do you think of that, Matt? Do you like that or... Uh, yeah, I, know uh, I, I know you'd like to change the photo. I have absolutely no comment to make about because <laughs> no, Matt has joined us. He's uh, he's gracing our website. So mm-hmm. don't forget, you can uh, if you go on our website www.planetalkinguk.com, plain spelled P-L-A-N-E, and you can uh, click on the contact the show tab as well, yep. and you can send us emails and voice feedback for uh, some feedback via there Indeed. and the answers to our competition questions uh-huh. as well which yes. you can find the details all the details on our competition questions on yes. our facebook page uh-huh. if you look for us on our facebook page our uh, plain talking uk mm-hmm. and don't forget we're on twitter as well you can uh, look for us on twitter and follow us on there uh, we're, we're always on twitter looking at stuff uh, i have a mention to make as well um because uh, i listen as matt knows i listen to uh, quite a few podcasts um Regular, very regularly on a mm. weekly basis, the Airplane Geeks, Airline Pilot Guy, and the Plane Talking UK podcast, obviously which we produce. So I listen back to that as well. 
really? <laughs> uh, and playing crazy down under yeah. uh, as well. And the extended guys uh, over there, extended uh, in the UK, our friends there in the UK, mm. they produce an awesome podcast show mm. as well. Um, but I have found, and I yeah. don't know why it's taken me this long to find it. I must be blind. But found a, a really good podcast, which is helping me Ooh. because it, it's actually, it covers something that I'm doing at the moment, which is learning to fly. Cool. Uh, it's the Maiden Flight podcast um, okay. with a chap called Mark Maiden, right. and uh, you can see you can follow him on Twitter. He's on Twitter, Mark Maiden. Right. You'll find him on there, and uh, he he's produced uh, he's producing an awesome podcast because yeah. it talks about everything that I want to hear about right. for okay. learning yes. to fly, uh, about his experiences and stuff, uh, which are awesome. Um, so follow follow him on uh, Twitter. Um, we're hoping to possibly get Mark. We might try try and get Mark on the show mm-hmm. uh, next week. He can join us via yeah. Skype or something like that. We yeah, can yeah, have him on the show. That, yeah. But he uh, he does a really good podcast. You can find him on iTunes um, as well. You can download his show on there. Mm. So look for him as the Maiden Flight Podcast cool. on iTunes. So uh, thanks for your feedback as well, mm-hmm. Mark. We uh, really appreciate that. Uh, don't forget, you can obviously find us as well on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, search for us on iTunes. Download us on iTunes. Uh, mm-hmm. You can also down or download the show, listen to the show via the website as well. Yeah. Um, and if you download the show via iTunes, please leave some feedback. See, yeah. Leave us a review on iTunes because uh, that all helps to uh, to make the show look lovely. Yeah. Make make sure that we're uh, we we're, we're covering the stories you want to hear. Yes, yes. And don't forget the competition. Just under a week left to end that competition. So. Thanks, Matt, for joining me in this kitchen studio this My week. Pleasure. And uh, you'll be back on the show next week. You're going to join us for the Christmas yeah, show. You, for the Christmas you better. Yes, yes. I'll, yes, I'll yes. book you in advance. Yeah, okay, yes. So for me, Carlos, Sen, I'm going to say goodbye then from episode number 41 yep. of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Thanks for listening. And uh, from me, Carlos, it's a very tired and I can't wait to have a few hours sleep this <laughs> evening. Goodbye. And from you, Matt? It's goodbye. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, okay then. Sorry. Right. Okay. I, I, I've been talking for the last hour and a bit. Okay, <laughs> okay. I'm out of words. <laughs> right. Goodbye then, guys. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.